So we come to our, our last reflection today, and that is a passage from Revelation chapter 12. Um, th this talk actually came from what I believe to be a, a real inspiration that I received during or right before Mass. I don't normally think that I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I, this idea and trying to understand and interpret this passage. Um, and the key is looking at the dragon who is Satan, and we're going to have Mary, the, the woman who is clothed with the sun. Notice the dragon is described in two ways. He is the deceiver, and he is the accuser. I've heard a lot about accusing. He lies and he accuses. And so we can say that possibly the water that comes out of his mouth, that he spits at the woman, or lies and accusations. Lies and accusations. But yes, indeed, the earth takes up the water. But notice how Mary reacts, or the woman reacts. She's not angry. She doesn't fight back. She just doesn't listen. The water can't touch her. The water, the lies and the accusations cannot have any type of impact on her. And so I, I kind of use this description. There's a, a statue in Rome in Santa Maria Maggiore that was done during, right before during World War I. And it's Mary and she has her hand out. She's holding the baby Jesus. And she's telling the devil, Talk to the hand. Stop it. I'm not going to listen to this. And the reaction that I think we can see that when the devil attacks us with water, the lies, and the accusations, Mary is not going to entertain it. She's not going to get into dialogue. She's not going to sit and ruminate over this. She's not going to listen to it. And so what does the evil one do? He sort of is mad and is angry, and he decides to go torment her children. And it's like someone who is a bully or a manipulator. If you will not listen to them, if you don't give them attention, they are going to go and find someone else to harass, find someone else whose life to make miserable. And so that, that's the evil one, the evil one who is a bully, who has this much power, no power at all, but still wants to intimidate, wants to spread lies and accusations and we play into his game when we listen, when we believe what he has to say, we entertain, instead of being like Mary, not going to listen. I'm not gonna have anything to do with this. I'm gonna let the earth swallow up the lies, the earth swallow up the accusations, because I know who I am. And so Mary, really, when it comes to this spiritual warfare, teaches us how to treat demonic attacks. You know, I, Scariest movie of all time is The Exorcist. It's really not that scary, actually. But still, people have this fear of the devil. Again, yes, he, he, he has certain powers, Lord gives him, but Mary was not scared of him. Therese was not scared of him. And if we allow that fear to take over, well, then guess what? He, he feeds into that, just like the bully, just like the antagonist, feeds into our fear. If he can't get a reaction, then he's not going to come. He's going to find someone else to go after. 
And the devil knows that he's already lost the one. He's already lost the battle. He's just sort of complaining and, 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 and pitching a fit, but he's already been cast out of heaven. Mary is the one who is, teaches us the attitude that we ought to have. We are not going to allow this to happen. But if you pay attention, yeah, the earth swallows it up. Mary isn't plus by it. She is nonplussed. But she doesn't defend herself. She lets the Lord defend her. And that's something that I, I think is so important. We heard about it when we read it in Scripture. That we're facing this attack from the evil one, the accuser, the lies, whether they be interior or exterior. The Lord, if we know that we're right with the Lord, if we know that these are lies, the more we fight, we try to try to take control. It's like Israel. God says, do not fight. I'm going to take care of it for you. But Israel goes and fights and they get slaughtered. Let the Lord carry our sword. Let him. There are times we've got to stand up for what we believe. But if we know that there are lies and accusations that are coming from the evil one, the Lord is going to defend us. And we've got to be able to trust that. You know, I noticed that in the gospel today. Pilate was amazed that Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus knew he was innocent. Jesus knew these were all lies. Defend myself. That becomes a problem when we do it. And so looking at that, what, what should we do? How can we take this, this Marian example and apply it in our own lives, in our own reality whenever we face the accuser? Whether it be accusing us as individuals, spreading lies in the family, trying to break up that struggle. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Worry, fear, anxiety, self-doubt, these are never from God. Never from God. And so, when I, so often I see people who have anxiety. They're worried about something in the past, present, or future. They're freaking out about it. And, and what causes it is an event or, or a lie or something that happened. And they think, well, okay, this thing happened. I failed in this way. Uh, this lie was told to me, I'm believing it, and it causes anxiety. No, it's not. It may cause a small anxiety, but the amount we experience is because we overthink it. So we have the event, we have the lie, and we sit here and process it in our brain over and over and over again. We internalize it, and that's what makes the anxiety. That's what makes the anxiety and the stress. And so there's that, that inward turn again. We keep coming back to that. Mary doesn't turn inward, she goes outwards. That's why she doesn't let the fear and anxiety take over, because she's too focused on the other. She's focused out of herself. And working with you know, people, particularly young women, who discern vocations. Here, Mary is the perfect example. She, she experiences the invitation, she experiences the call, but after the Annunciation, she doesn't sit here and start thinking about well, what happens next. What am I gonna do? What if God doesn't sustain me? What if I'm lonely? She doesn't worry about any of that kind of stuff. She goes, fearless, to go and serve in, in that great joy. And, and that's the key. Mary doesn't pay attention to the evil one, and she really does not internalize the lies. But we need to learn to be able to spot it. And I'm included in this. Because I, too, and all of us have that tendency 
to be able to, please tell me to come around there if you lock on the door. The tendency to, to not pay attention, and, and already the lies and the accusations, we're covered with water already when we realize, oh, wait a second, I, I'm believing this. I'm listening to the accusations. I'm listening to the deception. It's sort of too late. We're already soaked. So we've got to be able to spot it. We've got to see when that water is coming. And the evil one is trying to disturb our peace. And one of the ways that I suggest people to do this is to, to think of a time in your own life when you are living in the truth, when you're confident of your identity, when you're confident of God the Father's love for you, what are you doing? What's the situation when you experience that? It might be in front of the sacrament. It might be with your spouse. It might be you know, out in the woods or whatever. And it could be something that happens repeatedly, or it could be one time, a specific thing. But when we are sure that we know who we are, that we're, not, we're living in the truth and not living in the lies. And so that's who we truly are. So we can sort of say, all right, I know who I truly am, and I know what it means to be confident. And boy, oh boy, guess what? I'm not feeling that way now. I'm feeling the opposite of that. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling unbelievable lies. That's what we have to say, enough. Enough. I'm not listening to this anymore. And to be able to go out of ourselves by running to Jesus and running to Mary. We almost have to stop our brains and say, I'm not going to internalize this anymore. Jesus, I trust in you. Mary, I trust in you. Go out of yourselves in prayer. Go out of yourself in service to another. Get out of your head. But there has to be a strength to say, I got enough. It's like St. Francis. How did he handle the devil? The devil tempted him. He said, open your mouth, and I'm going to poo-poo in it. That's what he said. There's a little fire for Francis. Francis doesn't want to deal with this. I'm not listening to the lies. You've got to cut it off at the pass. Because if you don't, you're going to be drenched in water. You're going to be soaked. Your wings are going to be weighed down. But there's something here, though, that I think is important. Uh, I know I talked about Flannery O'Connor earlier. I'm going to talk about her again today. Not that we want to attribute everything to the devil. I'm very, very hesitant to do that. Most of the times, the lies and the accusations probably come from ourselves. We create the environment, and the evil one just enters in. He enters in. So the, de the devil cannot create something out of nothing. We, we give him a little kindling by turning in on ourselves, by the self-doubt. And then he goes in there, and he just makes it work. So it's like back when we were in the seminary. We would have prank wars, and there were these three seminarians who'd be pranking each other all the time. I would insert myself into it and pretend that I was someone else pranking them, so that I got away with it. And then they went prank the other person, but I, that's, that, I was like the devil. He comes in, but you don't see him, and he's going to stir dissension. He's going to stir problems. But we've got to be able to admit it, see it. But we've got to admit, though, that the evil one exists. That, that we are in a deeper spiritual warfare for our own souls, but I think for a much greater degree for our marriage as a whole, our families and culture. So this is a great um, quote from Flannery O'Connor. 
I don't know a lot of you know this, but she in 1962, I believe, 62, spoke at Wisdom. She spoke at John Moore Hall. Um, we actually have a recording of it. And then she did a little tour for the South, and then she went to Tulane in New Orleans, and she wrote a letter describing what her tour was like. And this is what she said. If I had to live in a city, because she didn't, she lived in a farm out of Milledgeville, Georgia, I think I would prefer New Orleans to any other, both Southern and Catholic, and with indications, indications that the devil's existence is freely recognized. <laughs> okay. Not that we love the devil, but New Orleans, the devil exists. No one, there's no one denying that reality. They're probably affirming it too much. I also love Flannery O'Connor. So it is. At least they're, they're not trying to deny that the evil exists. And so often, we do that. We can, we can psychoanalyze ourselves. We can internalize ourselves so much. And there's, there's that, that accuser, that antagonist there that we don't pay attention to. We can't pay too much attention to him, but we've got to be able to, to notice his little, his little hoof paw, his little hoof tracks. And so this is just in general, I mean, I think spiritual warfare and noticing consolation versus desolation, living in our identity and, and, and not believing the lies. But when it comes to this, and, and Mary gives us that example, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to let this water drench me. I know who I am. I know what God has called me to do. I know who my son is. And so we, her children, are going to have to, he's going to come attack us with the water. We've got to take that same example. But the truth is, this spiritual battle is, is, is much larger. Much larger. And again, I'm, I think most of us as a culture, as individuals and families, do enough to create our own hell. But the evil one is there, and there is a spiritual warfare, and there is an attack. The attack begins with a woman. Remember the book of Genesis? I will put enmity between you and the woman, your seed and his seed, your seed and her seed. So we're seeing that Genesis played out in Revelation 12, the attack on the woman and her seed. Mary and Jesus, the church and Christians, however you want to see it. And that war continues to go on, but it's particularly an attack today on the family. And I think, no, we're not playing victims here. We're not saying, oh, everything is really bad. But there is an attack on the family. The evil one, particularly in, in the latter part of the 20th century, beginning of the century, there's a concerted effort to destroy the family and, and those essential elements of it. You could, you could see it. Um, and. and why? Why would the evil one want to attack the family, the constitutive elements? Because the family is basic, is in the image of God. The image of God the Trinity. Man and woman, their communion and their fruitfulness images God the Trinity. And so when a couple loves each other, lives in communion, is fruitful, that's a witness of God to the world. And then for Christian marriages who are sacramental, it's an image, according to Ephesians 5, of Christ's love for the church. So the evil one can break up marriages, particularly sacramental marriages. He destroys the symbol. He destroys the sacrament. We've talked about this a lot before. Symbolic means to throw together. To throw together that invisible reality with the visible reality, with the Trinity, with the married couple, Christ and the church, with the sacrament. 
what is the antonym? Diabolic. Diabole means to sort of throw a cross. Throw a cross. Something that is diabolical, in sort of this etymological sense, rips apart the symbol, throws it across. And that is what the evil one in his diabolical method is trying to do. He wants to break it up. And although, as we're going to see, there are some deep philosophical roots here, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, this is a spiritual battle. And it begins with the attack and the rejection of the body and the soul, that dichotomy there, that the body reveals that interior spiritual dimension and on sexual difference the complementarity of male and man and woman. I'm reading this book, I'm gonna use it as a textbook for next year. It's called, uh, uh, what was it? The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by a uh, Carl Truman. It's a pretty big book, it's philosophical, easy to understand, I think, where he, he looks at particularly the transgender movement and the issues we have with the family and sexuality, and he traces it back philosophically. He doesn't get into the demonic element or the spiritual element, Oh, I'm reading this book and said, this guy agrees with me, kind of like Bishop Barrett. <laughs> Another kind of but Deep, deep roots. But what's happened is, is over, over, and here's the devil can use what's happened in the world, play on that. Where instead of the body being an objective reality that we need to conform ourselves to, and sexual difference being something that we can notice and see, the objective reality no longer matters, but what matters is our interior emotional state. What, what is referred to as expressive individualism. What I feel is true. In a certain sense, it's relativism. But if I feel that I'm this, it's true. And if you attack that, you attack me. And it's a personal attack. It's hate speech. And so you've got to understand why people react the way they do because truth has been internalized according to emotion, not reason, subjective, not objective. It's what we talk, the, the mimetic way of looking at the world, where we look at the world and we let it reveal itself to us and we conform ourselves to it. This is according to the, see God's eternal law revealed to us, we perceive it as the natural law versus the poesis where we impose reality on the world. The world, so it's two different worldviews. It's the Christian worldview that says there is meaning in the world and that God reveals himself, the sacramental worldview, and the opposite of nihilism. There's no meaning. We have to impose meaning. We have to impose meaning. And so basically the body, sexual difference, creation, is separated from the transcendent. Everything is in the world. We use our technology, our will, our emotions, and we exert authority over it. We've destroyed the symbol. And so why you have an attack on the body, the body becomes like a ghost body, what really matters is your feelings inside. Sexual difference, there's no real sexual difference, we need to overcome that. One writing will show, the man is the bourgeoisie, a female is the proletariat, they're rising up to get rid of class differences. The class differences is exhibited in the realm of sexuality, realm of sexuality. But particularly, there's a concerted attack on the woman. I think we see this. And again, I'm not sitting here playing victim. But he did say there's going to be enmity between us and the woman. And I think this is going to get me thrown in prison one day. The greatest expression of this 
is this transgender movement and gender ideology. If I was a feminist, I would be furious. You are, after all we've done to achieve equality, all of a sudden you, you're a man and you have sperm, you have male gametes, you don't have any eggs, you don't have a female body, you're gonna tell me you're a woman? Is, isn't that the worst expression of patriarchy? Why are the feminists losing their ever-loving minds? So now the men have taken everything and they're taking our femininity. <laughs> I don't get it. This is why none of it makes any sense. I would be furious. But regardless, so now you're having all this fighting. There's, there's the division of body and soul. There's the division of man and woman. Sowing division, destroying symbols. So now I'm pulling apart, but here we are going to fight with each other in our culture, in our families, even in our church. And of course, the greatest attack is against motherhood. The, 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 the woman and bringing forth life, abortion. Um, part of what Truman is going to talk about is, in his book is the work of Philip Reef, who is the one who wrote The Therapeutic Age, but his book called Death Works, where he talks about this idea that the culture, the, the, the anti-sacred culture has what called death works, where they will take something that is considered sacred and important, and they will attack it to bring it down. So that over time in the social imaginary, people don't think it's important anymore. So abortion is the ultimate death work against life. Pornography is the death work against sexuality that destroys the sacred. And to a certain sense, they say that transgender is the death work against femininity, sexual difference as a whole. But the real attack here, and again, this is where Fall is going to end on a sort of a political note, but Politics matter. Culture matters. It's all there is. I'm not going to see. I'm not one to advocate necessarily the culture war, but at least we've got to realize we're facing. John Paul II said, the future of humanity passes by way of the family. And he, who was such a Marian pope, I think understood what was happening, maybe didn't what was coming in the future certainly didn't fully grasp what we're facing today. But there's an attack on the family. When you attack the family as a natural entity, Sister Lucia, not part of the Fatima apparition, but later said the devil wants to attack the family in the latter part of the 20th century, the beginning of the 21st century. And we need to be building up the family, the image of the holy family, the family that loves, the family is a place of mercy, the family is a home. All of the things we've been talking about, all these things are going to be attacked. I didn't know this, but did you know that on March 19th, the Vatican declared the, the year of Amoris Laetitia family? Where it's the year of the family. The family should be enjoying the, the, the joy of love, rejoicing in love. So I think it's great. It's part of the reason I wanted to talk about the family because of, of this year that we are in. It hasn't really been advertised much. And so, yeah, so, so I've talked a lot about, there is a spiritual, but there is a part, it's a cultural <clears throat> project, whether you say that the evil one is at the roots of it or not, to destroy and attack the family. And I'm gonna give you a quote that was kind of mind-blowing to me. Uh, it's from one of the, the 
originators of the radical feminist movement, um, along with Simone de Beauvoir, uh, a Jewish woman named Shulamith Firestone. She's, she made de Beauvoir look like, like a Trump supporter. Um, that's how far out she was. I'm gonna give you this quote, and it's gonna freak you out. This was written in 1970. And I'm sure you can find other quotes like this too. It's kind of long, but her eyes will get big. And you're gonna see, it's like Marx mixed with Freud, um, all kinds of stuff. And just as the end goal of socialist revolution, Marxists are everywhere, was not only the elimination of the economic class privilege, but of the economic class distinction itself. So the end goal of feminist revolution must be, unlike that of the first feminist movement, which I'm sure would be suffragacy, not just the elimination of male privilege, but of the sex distinction itself. Genital differences between human beings would no longer matter culturally. A reversion to the unobstructive pansexuality, Freud's polymorphous perversity, would probably supersede hetero-homo bisexuality. There's going all the way beyond that. Sexual difference doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. The reproduction of the species by one sex for the benefit of both would be replaced by, at least the option of, artificial reproduction. Children would be born of both sexes, equally or independently of either. However one chooses to look at it, the dependence of the child of the mother and vice versa would give way to a, a greatly shortened dependence on a small group of others in general. And any remaining inferiority to adults in physical strength would be compensated for culturally. The division of labor would be ended by the elimination of labor altogether through cybernetics. Kind of goes off the deep end. But then again, you thought she went on the deep end in the beginning, but here's the last one. The tyranny of the biological family would be broken. So, so what does she mean by that? And this is a cultural project, y'all. The tyranny of the biological family, the, 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 the family structure, sexual difference, fertility, is written into nature, is considered a tyranny because it restricts freedom. If I have to live in accord with sexual difference, then my freedom is restricted. And freedom is interpreted as autonomy, ultimate autonomy. And, and so there's this attack on this idea of, of, the, of the sacramental, of the transcendent, of the spiritual, of the metaphysical. There's no such thing as human nature. It's just biology. We impose our structure on it. And so if that's the case, there's no biological family. And so this is all an effort to have the triumph of freedom as autonomy, particularly as a result of Freud, manifested in sexual freedom. It's the height of You notice all is reduced to sex. Y'all are all old enough to know that after a while, sex is great, but a nice bottle of wine is usually better. It probably lasts longer, you know? It's true. We, we put such a focus on this as the highest. No, they were running around. The highest good, but in reality, it's not. But there's this obsession over it. Obsession. And, and this is where I think that the evil one comes in. I, the evil wants us to reject the givenness of creation, the givenness of our bodies, the givenness of human nature as it reveals God, the Imago Dei, 
this, the soul, uh, the beauty of man and woman, all of these spiritual things, they're going to be attacked. So this is, this is what we're facing. It's a much deeper issue than just, oh, well, there was a Supreme Court decision. No, we live in this liquid modernity. There's no fixed points. It's whatever you want because there is no ground. There's no ground for nature. And this, of course, back goes to Friedrich Nietzsche. And so, of course, technology helps us to achieve reproduction and children. We have got to recognize the attack on this idea of human nature, but on the natural family, the tyranny of the natural family. This is what's going on, and it's going to get worse. I'm not here to be a fear monger at all. Next year, in five years, all of a sudden, the world is not going to wake up and say, yeah, the natural law exists. There is human nature. Maybe there's a miracle. Maybe it's going to happen. But I'm doubting it is. This is me being the glass of empty. I'm not being the cause of your joy. But, but we can't give up. And so what's happened is, is what do we see? Kind of this great quote from G.K. Chesterton. If we destroy the family, what replaces it? Nobody has really discussed the alternative to the family. The only obvious alternative is the state. The frightful punishment of mere sex emancipation is not anarchy, but bureaucracy. He does a great job of, of being witty. Oh, yeah. Did you not think that the state has replaced the family? The government, the federal government is, or the state is, 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 while it has an obligation to help people, has replaced the father, has replaced the family. We haven't even gotten to the discussion of fatherhood. And now the state has the power to redefine. The Christian argument is, no, no, we recognize marriage as a natural reality. The state, no, 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 I have the power to redefine marriage. Because there's no human nature. So also, remember, if there's no human nature, there are no human rights. There are only civil rights. The king gives and the king takes away. We're right back where we started, but nobody realizes it. And so you see, state says gay marriage, gay marriage, fine. Trust me, this is not a slippery slope. Polyandry, polyamory is on the way. They're fighting for it. Because if male and female don't matter, why does two matter? Because the truth is polygamy has a much longer genealogy in history than, than gay unions do. Much longer. Who are you to say that five people can't get married? There's a big article in the New York Times on this. If you look it up, it's recent. If you can get through to the end of this article, it takes about an hour to read, and your brain doesn't melt, <laughs> I'm going to give you an award. And I, was, I tell, tell some friends, read it, and tell them at a point you couldn't read it anymore. <laughs> Whoever read the most will get the award. I went to the end. They had the a one that Oh, yeah, that's, like that's, a, not, a, that's normal compared to what you're reading. Yeah. That's normal compared to what you're reading in this article. Oh. That's, like, that's like leave it to beaver. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's, it's division. It's the diabolical. It's separating in our individual lives, in our families. Look at the divorce rate, the, the, the splitting out, the tension in our church, in our culture. We can't think everything is the devil, but we have got to recognize where it exists. So what, what do we do? 
now, we talked about with Mary and, and, and how she handled like the attack of the evil one. And I think we gotta kind of do the same thing. I'm not gonna let him in. We're gonna stop him at the gate, at least in our own lives. It's a little bit too late in our culture, but we believe that Mary and Joseph, the Holy Family, can inspire us and on a spiritual level defend us but I think that there are several things that we can do. And so here, I hate to end on like this bad note, but this is just how Genesis is at the end. I mean, Revelation's the end, but it is a hopeful note. Mary, the, the battle is over. Mary already won. Jesus is won. This is what we celebrate Easter. When you're drinking your Kill Royale, it's because Jesus won. We're just sort of playing out the skirmishes at the end of the battle, and the, the evil one is mad because he's not going to win. And so that's why we need the Marian intercession. The pictures of Mary punching the devil. And that the rosary is a weapon. Um, that Marian devotion to, to, to have her yet yeah, protect the family, to protect our nation, but the more that we begin to emulate her, even in the trials, by having the joy of giving ourselves in service, that Marian attitude is going to be crucial. The other thing is going to be fortitude. One of the things we really didn't mention at Calvary, Mary was tough. To sit there, there, it took a lot of fortitude, not just natural fortitude, but as a gift of the Spirit. Are we praying enough for courage? To, to not only attack when necessary, but to withstand attack. But here is the most important part, and this is, this is the message of hope. I'm not advocating the cultural war. I think we've generally lost that. I'm not advocating that we all go join a monastery somewhere, even though that might be nice. In the, in the early church, very clear, and the church was facing a persecution much worse than we are now, and hopefully much worse than we will face, what did Christians do? They lived their faith. They, they, they lived it. The greatest defense against all these attacks is just living it. Living everything we've been talking about. Living it in the family, living as a couple of your family in a community. That is what is going to be the best defense. So, so we don't have to we need to change our laws, and we need to do all this. I'm not denying that, but, but politics, more politics is not going to fix bad politics. And we can feel so helpless. I mean, think of it. Mary and Joseph, their Roman occupation with Jesus. And you have Judas and everybody fighting for this unjust, this unjust regime. Let's just live out holiness. That's what you got to do. And so that's why I think something like this is so inspiring. Twelve families getting together. You could be doing other things. Miss Erin's here. She's given up watching the NCAA tournament. So admirable. But we're here to, 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 to strengthen your marriages, to go back and strengthen your families. But it's been wonderful. Everybody has a community. This is the best defense right here. It just is. It's not that difficult. And so when you go out, we're going to be recharged. Or we're going to have to 
to withstand some attacks. So we're going to have the devil come in to, to attack us and to try to divide us and throw us our peace. Absolutely. But we have each other. I mean, really, I think, I said, wisdom is what Ratzinger talked about. There's a home there. There's a place of safety. There's a place of refuge. Hopefully, you're, I know most all of y'all, I mean, maybe some of y'all are psychopaths and I don't really know it, but, but as imperfect as you are, that there's still this striving to be holy and striving to create the home in your own lives. So it's not that we don't pay attention, but we can't let all that stuff destroy our peace. Because Jesus is already one. That's what, that's what Easter's all about. And, and do your part in loving your children and your grandchildren. Let them know their identity. Teach them to pray. They may go off the deep end, but you've done the best you can. And so that's what the hope is. I, I, I think, as, as bad as everything I just said today, th this is hope. What, what we're doing right here. Don't you think so? This is hopeful. We're, we're not going to change the nation. We're not going to eradicate coronavirus. We're not going to save all the marriages, but there's a good chance we're going to save these. Subsidiarity. Do what you can. We're too worried about saving the world. Do what you can. And gradually, if everybody has their own, it ends up spreading. So, as we spend the rest of the time with Jesus, I kind of went long, um, I want to look at three things from today and from tomorrow. Where are we listening to lies and accusations? Where are we allowing the, the water of the evil one to just drench us? Number two, where, where are those cracks in our marriages, our own families, that the evil one can get in to sow division? We all have them. Where are those cracks, the little lies we tell ourselves, those imperfections that we know the evil one's going to jump on to separate division. And, and finally, how are we imitating Mary and Joseph and Jesus by defending the family, defending the sacrament, by simply living it out? Are we really, how good of a job are we doing? What could we do better? And ask the Lord in, in the sacrament to strengthen us. So, 7.46, so why don't we give maybe 20 minutes of, of reflection, we started a little bit late, um, just to bring these things to Jesus, and we'll wrap up and go from there.